All right. Let's uh, continue our analysis of the Fairy Queen. We're looking at Book 1, Canto 9, the second half of Canto 9, starting at uh, stanza 21. Now, uh, we left Red Cross Knight. He had been uh, tempted by Archimago, and he... In, in book two, in Canto two, excuse me, he abandons Una and goes off on his own adventures, and he meets the evil Duessa, who is duplicity, and he has several adventures with her, uh, and she leads him to fight Orgoglio, who is the the giant of pride, and Orgoglio defeats him and throws him in a dungeon. But then Una, who has been looking for Red Cross, finds or is found by Prince Arthur. Now, Arthur in the Fairy Queen is uh, a, makes a, a cameo appearance in every one of the books. That was the idea. Each book has a central knight who embodies a particular virtue, and Arthur is the ideal prince who embodies all of those virtues combined. So it makes sense allegorically that he would appear in every one of the books of the Fairy Queen. So he... Uh, rescues, that is, Prince Arthur, rescues the Red Cross Knight from the Dungeon of Pride, and he exposes uh, Duessas as the, the monstrous form that she really is. And But then Prince Arthur has to go on his own quest, and we've got uh, uh, Una, who is Truth, and the Red Cross Knight of Holiness uh, back on their adventures. And that's where we pick up. Um... But as they're traveling, they run into an, an armed knight towards them gallop fast, that seemed from some feared foe to fly, or other grisly thing that him aghast. Still as he fled, his eye was backward cast. So here's this guy who's running and got, got his, his, um, uh, keeping his, his eyes behind him all the time. He's flying from something terrible. This is, we'll find out later, his name is Sir Trevison. Um, and as he gets closer, they discover in stanza 22 that about his neck an hempen rope he wears that of his glistering arms does ill agree, but he of rope or arms had now no memory. So he's not even aware of that. So he's got this noose around his neck. He was, you know, about to hang himself. Um, uh, so Red Cross Knight goes, uh, stanza 23 uh, towards him crossed fast uh, to weet what Mr. Uh, White was so dismayed. There him he finds, all senseless and aghast, that of himself he seemed to be afraid. Now that's a very interesting note there. It's almost so he's afraid of himself, and that of course literally is true because uh, despair is uh, something that is internal. He's afraid of himself, afraid for himself. And they can barely get the guy to stop. He, he tells them in uh, stanza 25, For God's dear love, Sir Knight, do not me stay. For lo, he comes. He comes fast after me. And they're looking, well, there's nobody following you now. Um, so, you know, you know, settle down and t tell us what happened. Uh, and when, when there, he's assured that he's in safety, uh, he begins to tell them. Uh, look at stanza 27. I lately chanced, would I had never chanced, with a fair knight to keep in company, 
Sir Turwin Hight, that well himself advanced in all affairs, and was both bold and free, but not so happy as might happy be. He loved, as was his lot, a lady gent, that him again loved in the least degree, for she was proud and of too high intent, and joyed to see her lover languish and lament. So he's been hanging out with this knight, who was in love with a woman who didn't love him. So he, he's not exactly a happy guy. He's, he's got some, some sadness in his life. Um, he says, From whom returning, sad and comfortless, as on the way, together we did fare, we met that villain, God from me him bless, that cursed white for whom, from whom I scaped will air, a man of hell that calls himself despair. Um, now, despair, in our modern world, we tend to think of despair in purely psychological terms as just extreme sadness, uh, melancholy, depression, maybe. But And it had that meaning in, in the Renaissance, but it also had a more specific theological meaning, because despair doesn't mean just being sad. Despair means believing that things are hopeless. And even more specifically in theology, it was believing that you were beyond redemption, that your sins were unforgivable. Uh, and that, of course, is a direct contradiction of Christian theology. So despair was, in some ways, the, the, the deepest or the, the worst kind of sin. And look how um, Sir Trevison describes what happened in stanza 29, which when he knew, that's when he knew that the knight was feeling sad and felt our feeble hearts embossed with bale and bitter biting grief, which love had launched with his deadly darts, with wounding words and terms of foul reprief, he plucked from us all hope of due relief. Now there, that's despair. It's not just being sad, it's thinking that there's no relief, all hope of due relief that erst us held in love of lingering life. Then, hopeless, heartless, gan the cunning thief persuade us die to stint all further strife. To me he lent this rope, to him a rusty knife. So despair ends in suicide. What's the point? There's no redemption. Nothing's ever going to get better. You might as well just kill yourself. That's that's despair. Now, notice that um, Red Cross is just bewildered by this. He says, stanza 31, How may a man, said he, with idle speech, be one to spoil the castle of his health? He said, wait, you're telling me this big danger, he just talked to you, and that was the problem? Oh, that's ridiculous. And Sir Trevison replies, I wot, quoth he, whom trial late did teach, that like would not for all this world's wealth, his subtle tongue, like dropping honey, mealeth into the heart, and searcheth every vein, that ere one be aware, by secret stealth, his power is reft, and weakness doth remain." So he's describing this, this like like dropping honey melts into your heart. 
um, it's describing almost like this kind of um, you know hypnotic power of his voice uh, he's able to kind of sneak up on you it's not a direct attack and we've seen even in the you know just a little bit we've read of of the book one of the fairy queen Red Cross is not good at dealing with those stealth attacks. He's good at a, a clear enemy that he can attack. But he gets uh, Trevison to take him to this uh, despair guy and see how it goes. Now, I want to look at the description here, uh, starting in stanza 33. Um, his, ere long they came, with that same wicked white his dwelling has, low in a hollow cave, far underneath a craggy cliff ye pite, dark, doleful, dreary, like a greedy grave that still for carrion carcasses doth crave. On top whereof I dwelt the ghastly owl, shrieking his baleful note, which ever drave from far from that haunt all other cheerful fowl, and all about it wandering ghosts did wail and howl. So this is, you know, this horrible, uh, you know, dark, it's like a, gr- a greedy grave, a grave that's going to eat you up. Uh, the owl, the symbol of, of night, is there. Uh, there are wailing, howling ghosts around. And all about old stalks and stubs of trees, whereon nor fruit nor leaf was ever seen. So everything's barren, there's no life here did hang upon the ragged rocky knees on which had many wretches hanged been whose carcasses were scattered on the green and thrown about the cliffs so the trees the only fruit that these trees have are the men who killed themselves who hanged themselves on the trees and their you know bodies are strewn around it's like a um a slaughterhouse here um arrive at there that barehead knight for dread and doleful teen would fain have fled, no durst approach, approach and near, but the other forced him stay and comforted in fear. So, you know, he, he, Trevison wants to get out of there and Red Cross Knight, no, no, come, no, we'll, we'll, we'll stay here. And then we see despair himself. That darksome cave they enter where they find that cursed man low sitting on the ground musing full sadly in his sullen mind, his greasy locks, long grown and unbound, disordered hung about his shoulders round, and hid his face, through which his hollow eye looked deadly dull, and stared as astound, his raw-boned cheeks, through punery and pine, were shrunken, shrunk into his jaws as he did never dine. So here is this emaciated, starved, hollow-eyed, long, greasy-haired figure, and this is despair. Now, we didn't read this part, but I want to you to look back at one stanza in Canto Eight. This is Canto Eight, stanza forty-one, and this is the description of Red Cross Knight as they found him in the dungeon when Prince Arthur rescued him. His sad, dull eyes, deep sunk in hollow pits, could not endure the unwanted sun to view. His bare, thin cheeks, 
for want of better bits, and empty sides, deceived of their due, could make a stony heart to his hap to rue. His raw bone arms, whose mighty brawned bowers were wont to rive steel plates and helmets hue, were clean consumed, and all his vital powers decayed, and all his flesh shrunk up like withered flowers. All right, so that's how Red Cross Knight looked in the Dungeon of Pride. And I think you can see it's a very clear parallel with this description of despair. It's this emaciated, starved, hollow-eyed, long-haired figure. So the imagery is suggesting that despair in and Red Cross Knight are, are linked. Now, uh, back to Canto 9. Uh, in stanza 36, we get the discovery of Sir uh, uh, Trevison, Ter- Sir Terwin's body. They see the rusty knife in his in his side um, and Red Cross accuses uh, the despair says thou aged damned white the author of this fact we here behold what justice can but judge against thee right with, with thine own blood to price his blood here shed in sight that you, you're he's, you're a murderer right you you owe your own blood in exchange for this murder and despair answers, What frantic fit, quoth he, hath thus distraught thee, foolish man, so rash a doom to give? What justice ever other judgment taught, but he should die, who merits not to live? None else to death this man's despairing drive, but his own guilty mind, deserving death. He said, What, what are you accusing me for? Uh, you're talking about justice? Well, isn't it justice that people who deserve to die should not live? He says, it wasn't me who did this. It was his own guilty mind. He believed he deserved death. Right? So, from the very first moment that they, that they start talking, the despair is turning things against Red Cross and questioning his, his understanding of things. And despair goes on to say that this is a good thing. Stanza 40. He there doth now enjoy eternal rest and happy ease, which thou dost want and crave, and further from it daily wanderest. What if some little pain the passage have that makes the frail flesh to fear the bitter wave? Is not short pain well-born that brings long ease and lays the soul to sleep in quiet grave sleep after toil port after stormy seas ease after war death after life does greatly please so he's he's giving the argument you know that that cliche you always hear about somebody who's died well he's in a better place now that's what despair is saying. Oh, he has eternal rest now. Don't you wish you had eternal rest? You're getting farther away from it all the time. And says, yes, there was pain in his death, but it was a short pain, and now he has eternal rest. Again, these are exactly the kinds of things people say uh, about somebody after they've died. Uh, 
oh, I'm glad, I'm glad they're, they're out of their misery now. She suffered so terribly. Right? And he's kind of turning those things back against the Red Cross. And look at the analogies. Sleep after toil. Right, after you've worked hard, you sleep. Port after stormy seas. You know, you've had a rough voyage, you want to get into the port. Ease after war. Right, after war, you have peace or ease. And then death after life. Ah, so death is the analogy for sleep and the port and ease. Now, the Red Cross Knight comes back with actually a pretty good counter-argument here. He says, The term of life is limited. No No may a man prolong nor shorten it. The soldier may not move from watchful stead, nor leave his stand upon his captain's bed, but those four lines are all that that uh, Red Cross gets in. And I want you to just notice, um, uh, Despair replies to him. He starts in stanza 41, and look, his he goes all the way through stanza 47. Right? So he's got six stanzas of reply to Red Cross Knight. And he says, let's pick it up in stanza 43. The longer life I wot, the greater sin... The greater sin, the greater punishment. All these great battles which thou boasts to win through strife and bloodshed and avengement, now praised, hereafter, dear thou shalt repent, for life must life and blood must blood repay. Is not enough thy evil life forspent? For he that once hath missed missed the right way, the further he doth go, the further he doth stray. So let's unpack his arguments here. He's saying you should you should welcome death the same way this man did. Look, the longer you live, the more you sin. You're a sinner, and the more you sin, the more your punishment's going to be. If you die now, you'll prevent all of those sins you're going to commit later on. And he says, you know, you, you boast of all these great battles, but you're out there killing people. And, you know, that requires vengeance. Uh, blood, must, uh, blood must blood repay. Notice that that was exactly what Red Cross Knight said at the beginning to despair. You've split, shed this man's blood. You deserve your blood to be shed. And now, Despair is weaving that into his argument against the Red Cross Knight. Um, And says, once you've missed the right way, you know, when you go off the path, you just keep going off it further. You know, this is, you know, once you start down the dark side, there's no going back. He said, then do no further go, no further stray, but here, lie down. And to thy rest betake, the ill to prevent, that life ensuin may. For what hath life that may it loved make, and gives not rather cause it to forsake? So what's so great about life? What do you get in your life? Fear, sickness, age, loss, labor, sorrow, strife, pain, hunger, Cold that makes the heart to quake, and every fickle fortune rageth rife, all which, and thousands more, 
to make a loathsome life. And just the force of that that long list of all the terrible things about life. Who would want to cling to that? You want to be free of that. Those are all horrible. Thou wretched man, the death of death has greatest need. If in true balance thou wilt weigh thy state, for never knight that dared warlike deed more luckless disadventures did a mate. Witness the dungeon deep wherein of late thy life shut up, for death so oft did call. And thou, and, and though good luck prolonged hath thy date, yet death then would the like mishaps forestall, into the which hereafter thou mayest happen, happen fall. The note, he's bringing up his imprisonment in the dungeon. You know, he's touching, he's touched a nerve here. Uh, look, you've been, you've been off the path. You abandoned Una and went off Duessa and wound up in the dungeon. You'll probably do the same thing next time and wind up in another dungeon. Wouldn't you like to avoid that? Says, Why then dost thou, O man of sin, desire to draw thy days forth to their last degree? Is not the measure of thy sinful hire high heaped up with huge iniquity? Against the day of wrath, to burden thee? Is not enough that to this lady mild thou falsed hast thy faith with perjury, and sold thyself to serve Duessa vile, with whom in all abuse thou hast thyself defiled? Uh, Now it's interesting, of course, Despair knows all of this because you know despair, as we've seen from the imagery, is a part of Red Cross. It, it, it's the the despairing part of his his character, and he's pointing out, look, you abandoned Una, and to go and serve Duessa, you are you are a sinful man. You have you have gone off the path. You've gone to the dark side. Is not he just that all this doth behold from highest heaven and bears an equal eye? You're saying, look, God sees you from heaven. Isn't God just? Hasn't God seen all of the horrible things you've done? Doesn't he know? Shall he thy sins up in his knowledge fold and guilty be of thy impiety? Is not his law let every sinner die? Die shall all flesh. What then must needs be done? Is it not better to do willingly than linger till the glass be all outrun? Death is the end of woe. Die soon, O fairy son. He says, look, you're going to die. Uh, that's, that's the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. Now, as a footnote reminds you, and as a good uh, uh, a good uh, uh, Protestant like Spencer would have known, that's not the whole Bible verse. The, the Bible verse, Romans 6.23, is the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, despair ignores that part of the verse. He stops before he gets there. But and that's really the kind of the, the, the crux with despair. It it is a, a an ignoring 
of God's grace. And notice how Red Cross responds to this. The knight was much immoved with his speech, that as a sword's point through his heart did pierce, and in his conscience made a secret breach, well knowing true all that he did rehearse, and to his fresh remembrance did reverse the ugly view of his deformed crimes, that all his manly power it did disperse, and as as he was as he were charmed with enchanted rhymes, that oftentimes he quaked and fainted oftentimes. So I mean, this has really hit home. It has, it, it has made a secret breach into his soul. This is all true. He knows everything that, uh, that despair has said is true. Um, and so in which amazement, when the miscreant perceived him to waver, weak and frail, whilst trembling horror did his conscience daunt, and hellish anguish did his soul assail, to drive him to despair and quite to quail. He showed him, painted in a table plain, the damned ghosts that do in torments wail, and thousand fiends that do them endless pain with fire and brimstone, which forever shall remain. Now, what he's showing him is an image of hell, right? He's all of the, 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 the ghosts and fiends in fire and brimstone, um, I think about it, why is he showing him that? He's just made this big speech about how death is ease. Um, but that wasn't the point that got Red Cross Knight. The point that got Red Cross Knight was that death is what you deserve. You've done all these sinful things. Look at all these sinners in torment. Well, that's what you deserve, to be in torment, to be in hell, to be in fire and brimstone, just like them. That's despair. Um, the sight whereof so thoroughly him dismayed that naught but death before his eyes he saw and ever burning wrath before him laid by righteous sentence of the Almighty's law. And it's a, this is a righteous sentence. This is what he deserves. Um, and then then gan the villain him to overcraw and brought unto him swords, ropes, poison, fire, and all that might him to pertain to perdition draw, and bade him choose which death he would desire, for death was due to him that had provoked God's ire. Yeah, that's the that's the crux. I deserve this. I don't. Uh, I've I have sinned. I've gone off the path. I deserve hellfire and brimstone. Might as well get it now. He says, he to him wrought a dagger sharp and keen. So, just as he did with uh, with Sir Turwin, he gives him the, the, the knife to kill himself. Uh, his hand did quake and tremble like a leaf of aspen green, and troubled blood through his uh, pale face was seen to come and go with tidings from the heart. As it, as it a running messenger had been, so all the blood rushes away from his his face. He's he's pale. At last, resolved to work his final smart, he lifted up his hand that back again did start. All right. So he's he, he's you know we're we're 
this is, this is where the suspenseful music in the movie would would swell up. He's got the knife. He's just about to kill himself. And then, of course, what happens? Which when, as Una saw, through every vein, the curdled cold ran to her, uh, her well of life as in a swoon, but soon relieved again, out of his hand she snatched the cursed knife and threw it to the ground, enraged rife, and to him said, Fie, fie, faint-hearted knight, what means thou by this reproachful strife? Is this the battle which thou vaunst to fight with the fire-mouthed dragon, horrible and bright? Now, allegorically, Una, the truth, grabs the knife out of his hand. It's a wonderful moment. You know, the Red Cross Knight is there, presumably, to protect and defend Una. But it turns out that she's the one protecting and defending him. Uh, and, of course, what it is, symbolically, um, theologically, allegorically, that defeats despair is the truth. And the truth that Una gives him is in stanza 53, uh, in heavenly mercies hast thou not a part? Why shouldst thou then despair that chosen art? Where justice grows, there grows e greater grace, the which doth quench the bronze of hellish smart, and that accursed hand writing doth deface. Arise, Sir Knight, arise, and leave this cursed place. So what she says, and she doesn't have to give a big long speech like uh, uh, Despair does, she gets right to the point. Heavenly mercy. Yes, you've sinned, but that's why you have God's forgiveness. You have heavenly mercy. It's not just about God's punishment. It's about mercy. You, you need to leave this place and ex go to somewhere where you can accept God's grace. So they, they do leave. They, they get out of there quickly. But notice the very last note of the uh, of Canto 9 is we have despair is left there, and he hung himself, unbid, unblessed. But death he could not work himself thereby. For a thousand times he so himself had dressed, yet nonetheless it could not do him die, till he should die at last, that is, eternally. So we get uh, despair is in this kind of hellish situation where he, he wants to die, but can't. He hangs himself, but he doesn't die. Uh, which is kind of, I think, a, a kind of an appropriately fitting and ironic punishment for despair, who drives other people to suicide and wants suicide himself, but can't achieve it. All right, well, the adventures of Red Cross Knight continue, of course, in the, in the, ne in, uh, the next uh, canto, in Canto 10, he goes to the House of Holiness, and there he recuperates and learns about uh, uh, heavenly grace and virtue. And then in Cantos 11 and 12, he confronts the dragon, who is, of course, Satan and evil and sin and all of the, the symbol of all of those things, and has a, an epic, epic three-day battle. Of course, it's three days, just like Jesus's three days in the tomb. Uh, and finally defeats the dragon and saves Una's country. Uh, so it's a very happy ending for everybody, and Red Cross Knight uh, uh, is is betrothed to Una, but he has a, another quest to go on, and so the, the Fairy Queen will continue. 
And we will continue next time with uh, the 12th canto, the final canto of Book 2. Now, the central figure in Book 2 is Sir Gion, and Sir Gion is the knight of temperance, the knight of moderation. And you'll see in uh, Canto 12, he goes to the Bower of Bliss. This is where the, the, the sorceress Acrasia lives. And I want you to think about the, the allegory here. Uh, what is the Bower of Bliss? What does it allegorically represent? And how does it represent it? What it why is it, uh, you know, for, for holiness, the, uh, the ultimate battle was a fight with a dragon? For temperance, the ultimate battle is going through the Bower of Bliss. Well, what is that? Why is the Bower of Bliss a particular temptation, a particular danger um, for for temperance, for moderation? And think about how Spencer presents this all, the, the imagery that he uses uh, of what is the, um, how, how the Bower of Bliss tempts temperance. And look particularly at how Sir Gion reacts at the very end of of the of the canto what is his response to the bower of bliss what what form does that take so we'll be looking at that for next time for our our, our further adventures in the fairy queen uh, as always, if you have questions you can email me at drmarkwomack at gmail.com thanks for your attention and I will talk to you next time